So, who else needs to be involved to sign this contract anyway? This is the question asked by salespeople late in the sales cycle to unlock the decision-making process and get that deal signed. The prospect answers, uh, I'm not really sure. The rep senses that the prospect is tensing up and starting to shut down the conversation. They must know more than they're letting on. The rep presses a little harder. Well, would it be someone like your CFO? What's the usual decision-making process? Now the prospect's posture is clearly defensive, both verbally and physically, and their tone suggests that they are shutting down. Then they say something like, you know, please just give all of it to me so I can prepare my recommendation. The rep now has to scramble, and the comfortable conversation about solving problems has now become an uncomfortable intellectual competition. This deal, which the rep thought they were going to get, is now headed for a nice long stay on the pipeline report and weekly interrogation for as long as both rep and manager can endure it. So how do you avoid the dissidence that exists between you and your prospects at that moment? And how can you reliably turn them from probable blockers into stark raving champions? It's all about increasing your odds. This is Charlie, and welcome to Octane. Welcome to Episode 4 of Octane, Part 2 of Who's in the Room. In Episode 3 last month, we explored why you need to get executives involved in the process, it's mostly to ensure that resources and timelines can be reprioritized to get your business reliably secured as soon as possible. In this episode, we will explore the how, specific tactics, and talk tracks to help increase your odds. Before we dive into the session, here's a brief word from our featured nonprofit, the Elamisha Children's Project. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Peter Kialo. I am the founder and president of Elimisha Children's Project. In 2014, we started this initiative and the main objective was to really reach back to the community in the rural parts of Kenya. Our mission is to collaborate and empower them through education. Over the years, we've done this by raising funds and building schools in rural parts where there are none. Please stay tuned for more information about Elimisha Children's Project. Okay, so let's talk about some specific tactics on how to reliably get decision makers in the room. I attribute this episode's topic to be the principal reason why my teams were able to see near linear scalability in our sales force as we scaled from zero to over 200 reps. We spent significant time and energy learning this topic practicing the words and tone, reinforcing the concepts, and basing the foundation of our pipeline reviews on this to consistently hit our forecasts. So here's the situation. You've found a real prospect with a business reason to spend money. They have admitted pain, and it's one of the five, revenue, cost, forecasting, accuracy, compliance, or risk mitigation. You've qualified it to determine 
that it's something you can actually help them with, which means you did it in the right order. You learned about their world first and worked backward from there to try to solve the problem. Now, this person you're talking to, can they buy? Meaning, can they sign or authorize budget? In most sales departments, the discussion of the decision-making process is usually late in the sales cycle, and it's one of the following three questions. They either ask, what is your decision-making process? Or, does anyone else need to be involved in the process? Or, who signs this contract anyway? I'd like to take a minute to explore the emotion behind what is happening with the person you are talking to and give you a good way to start the discussion. Every single person wants to believe that they have influence. In episode two, I referenced status roles in Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast. If you listen to it, you heard him describe that people gravitate toward discussions that elevate their status and tend to run from discussions that lower their status. And the fact is that nearly every single person you talk to cannot sign or truly authorize your contract. Unless you're selling to very small companies, power doesn't want to talk to a salesperson. However, based on the pipeline stages I went through in episode 3, the odds dramatically improve when power is involved and admits that they have a problem. The questions that salespeople ask, like what's the decision-making process, who signs it, who else needs to be involved, they totally expose the person you're talking to and make them need to admit to you that they have no influence. This embarrasses them and shrinks their status while elevating the rep's status. No one likes that moment, and they simply want that moment to end. They will likely run from the discussion as fast as possible. This is a terrible way to build an inside sponsor, coach, and partner in crime. And you're going to need this person to bring all the people into the process that you need to truly sell this. Okay, in a minute we will give you specific talk tracks. But first, here are the possible scenarios you are in at this moment. The person you are talking to could be power. If they are, then you should really know that. It really helps you drive the end game if you do, and you can ask a very different set of questions. They could also be someone who's more than willing to introduce you to power if you simply ask. And this happens way more than you think. They could be needing more proof prior to introducing you. Or they could be attempting to control the process completely. So when you ask questions like, does anyone else need to be involved, you don't actually really learn anything. If you ask a yes or no question, you'll get a yes or no answer, and it's almost assuredly a no. In our frequent role play trainings of this topic, I would consistently tell reps that if they ask a yes or no question, just answer no for the prospect. Make a joke out of it and save everybody time and agony. The reason why you need to ask an open-ended question is that you need to know who approves the contract, but you also need to know all the little things that they do every time that they buy something. With all of this in mind, I advocate a very different approach. 
I never provided scripts to my reps for discovery. I always found that that got in the way of creating a real connection with their prospects. This topic, however, was always the hardest, and we practiced specific language. I have included each of the talk tracks out on Patreon, but the lead question goes like this. If you become convinced that this will improve your business, what has to happen then? What will you do? You see, there's nothing even remotely controversial in this question, and it's the only question I have ever found that gives a positive outcome regardless of which of the four situations you're in. And let's break this question apart to examine the psychology of it. First, the question is written in the passive voice with no subject. That means that it casts no judgment that others need to be involved. Also, probably about 50% of the people you talk to do not know the decision-making process. Maybe more. Most times, you need to help them understand what that even is because they've never gotten anything purchased before. You first need to figure out if they even know the way. It also comfortably begins the conversation about next steps during the natural course of conversation, and it does it without the sudden embarrassment or stress about things that sound risky like contracts, processes, and involving senior people. This is especially true when you talk about it early. Get agreement to explore and then immediately make it a priority to talk about this. Simply starting with this question will give you a way better odds of turning potentially staunch blockers into stark raving champions. If you become convinced that this will improve your business, what has to happen then? What will you do? It's all about increasing your odds. So if you ask that question, how could they answer? Let me first give you the most common answers to this question, and then I will give you more detail on how you should consider your next action based on their answer. They could say, well, I need to run this past so-and-so. If they do, in about 95% of the cases, you should ask for power. I'll give you that language in a minute. They could also say, well, I am the decision maker, or I make the recommendation, or my favorite, my boss does everything I say. Wow, these people are absolutely amazing. In these cases, you will really want to test the buyer. They could also say something like, well, I don't know, or we're too premature to be thinking about that. Well, in this one, you don't actually know whether or not this person truly knows the decision-making process or if they've never gotten anything purchased before. Most don't, especially when you're helping them figure out a solution to a problem that didn't have a project. You really need to dive a little deeper into this one. Very likely, you will need to bargain for access to power. What I hope you get from this is that their responses are finite. By asking the correct first question, you can get the most reliable answer, regardless of the situation that you're in. So let's now go deeper into your response for each of the three. Ask for power, test the buyer, 
and bargain for access. For the first one, they said something like, well, I need to run this past so-and-so. This is awesome news because they actually trust you enough to tell you this. This is the result of the hard emotional work you've done with them that creates genuine rapport and mutual respect. When they say this, they are asking you to ask. And you should ask for access to the person that they mention. If you do not, you will prove that you are willing to work exclusively with them and them alone, tightly coupling the two of you together. In the future, if you want to break that bond later to try to involve power, you'll probably need to do something very uncomfortable. This emotional door is only open for about 10 seconds. And if they open this door, walk through. But this one requires a little bit of street smarts to interpret, and your next action is determined by a combination of what they tell you and how big of a company they really are. A common response you might hear is, I need to run this past my boss. Your judgment on that one is to make a guess. Can boss buy? Mean can they actually sign or authorize your contract? In a typical $100 million company, there will typically be about three to four levels in the hierarchy. If you're talking to someone on the lowest node of the org chart, then boss is probably a manager. They probably can't buy. You need to keep asking questions like the first one until you hear something and someone that cares about budgets and financial statements. So cool, who is your boss? Great. Let's say we sit down with your boss and it looks like it will really fit. What has to happen then? What will we do? In one sales cycle, I can remember needing to ask this in slightly different variations five different times. Keep going. Okay. Now they've admitted who power is. Now it's time to ask for that person. Walk through that emotional door with some fairly assumptive language. They say, okay, well, at that point, we would need to run that past our CFO. Sounds good. I recommend that we set up a 15-minute meeting with your CFO to give them some orientation on what we're discussing and give them a chance to weigh in on the highest priority things to evaluate. When can we set that up? The reward of doing this so far outweighs the risk. A large percentage of people will actually agree. You've just increased your odds. Some are still fearful at this point, and they retreat a little bit. Fine. Bargain. We'll get to that one in a minute. It's all about increasing your odds. Okay, so when you ask the initial question, they could also say something like, I am the decision maker. I make the recommendation. And again, my personal favorite, my boss does everything I say. Now, in my experience, the people that are determining why on the business plan always seem to make more money than the people who are directed how to do it. And I've seen very few decision makers who actually say that they are the decision maker, unless it's a really small company. They will usually try to make someone else sound really important, 
because the last thing they want to be is the main point of contact for a salesperson. Regardless, you should test the buyer. Great! Who else should be involved to evaluate either the technology or the financial proposal? In chess terms, this is forking them. Make them decide who they ain't. They could say, I need to get my technical people involved at that point. That could be good news. There are likely more on the business side, and you get to learn who the technology influencers are in their business. They could also give you the superhero response. It's just me. If that's the case, and if you think they're larger than about $10 million in annual revenue, there will almost always be multiple people involved in any meaningful decision because different people specialize in particular areas of expertise. Technology, operations, sales, marketing, finance. That's why they create departments. The superhero response is likely a blocker. This is someone who wants to control the decision. It's just me. So in those cases, you have two basic options. There are more, but these are the most common. Number one, walk. Is this truly an opportunity where you should play? If your odds are going to be so low, is it worth it? Sometimes when you walk, they come back to you on your terms, which increases your leverage. Also, if they're not going to involve power in the decision, are you truly the preferred option? Think about it. You have to test them, and you have to look at what they've actually committed to do. Yes or no, pass, fail. The second option, if they give you the superhero response, is just call high. This one is kind of what I would call the I'm concerned call. If they do give you some indication of who power is, or even if they don't, you can call high in the organization to reveal your findings. This is especially true when you've found a significant business opportunity or the person you're talking to, it's, it's obvious that they feel threatened by your solution. Outside consultants, they always tend to work to control access to their clients because they want to stay in the game. And they're probably billing time to do the thing that you would fix. So you threaten them. The downside of calling high is that you can do real damage to the relationship with your sponsor, this contact that you're talking to. You're going around them. And it's not an easy decision. But if they're not going to provide you access to the thing you need most to increase your odds, really, what do you have to lose? So let's say you found a significant cost savings. If they're not going to automatically open the door and they're going to control access, why not call the CFO? I'm a bigger fan of voicemails and not emails for this approach. Hello, my name is Charlie Hackerson from ABC Company. I've been working with Susan on your team, and we have discussed a fairly large opportunity for your company to save money. I can completely see why Susan would feel threatened by this kind of change, and I would love to get some guidance and counseling from you on how best to approach it. 
I really do enjoy working with Susan, and I really wouldn't want to negatively impact her in any way. But I did want to make sure that you were aware of the very large cost savings that we could achieve together based on the work we've done so far and the work we've done with others just like you in the industry. Please feel free to give me a call back. Da -da 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 -da. If you do this correctly, you can reset this in a way that power wants to become involved. If you do it indelicately, it can actually feel a little bit like Sherman's March to the Sea, where he burned everything from Atlanta to the ocean. Your original contact is obviously going to feel burned if you do this indelicately, and you need to repair that relationship as soon as possible. The longer you wait, the more uncomfortable it becomes. And one last point I would make about this is that if they actually are power and they give you the superhero response and they want to run solo with it and it's a larger company, that's really not going to work either. You will probably not get enough of their time to build the kind of business case that you need to truly get this change done. This language I'm providing you allows you to also get others involved in the investigation to build the best case possible, which further increases your odds. Okay, now for the most common scenario and the one that you probably need to be best at to be truly good at your job. If you ask that first question and you get a response that sounds like, well, we're not there yet, or it feels pretty premature, or I don't know. Here's where you need to figure out if they truly know how decisions get made and set up a bargain to get your highest priority, power. I will tell you where reps short this one and the impact to their pocketbooks when they do. Here's the language. So I can totally understand that we have some work to do before we would involve your leadership team in the process. I propose that we do a meeting with our technology team and yours to make sure that it fits in your environment. If that proves out, will you help to arrange the leadership meeting? Is that fair? Now there are three places where a rep could stop on this talk track. The first place is after the phrase, I propose a meeting to make sure it fits in your environment. This is next step selling. This approach proves to the prospect that you're willing to do significant work and get absolutely nothing in return. Make a nice little spot on the pipeline. This one is going to stay there for quite a long time. A rep could also stop after the next part. If that proves out, will you help to arrange a meeting with your leadership team? That question is kind of an ultimatum. The logical answer could be yes, no, it might be we'll see. You've given them all the power and control, almost like letting them be Caesar, deciding if your deal will die or live. Thumbs up, thumbs down, who knows? The next point is one of those little details that makes all the difference. When you take it all the way to is that fair? You are setting up a partnership. In a partnership, there are things that you will do, and there are things that they will do. It is fair. 
And when you ask these questions and correctly interpret their responses, you will get a lot of yes answers here. The times when you don't are usually when you need to be a trusted advisor on how things get purchased because they might not know. And when you do this, the first three words are by far the most important. In my experience, and then you just lay out your ideal sales cycle. Lead them. They will actually feel relief and thank you later. This is the most important way that you can draw them closer to you at this moment. So this episode is a lot of information and a lot of really good tactical talk tracks. Um, and I really couldn't figure out what to take out. My clients will generally get to a role play format of this. And that really lands these concepts with people. For reps to truly understand them, they have to practice them. They've got to say the words. You can't just sit there and listen to what somebody else says and hope you get better at it. These concepts are the basis for truly moving deals through a sales cycle, improving forecasts, and optimizing your time when purchases have a real shot at getting made. Trust me on this. Nothing works 100% of the time. But if you take the first step on the decision-making process in the right direction by asking the right kind of question, you can really increase your odds. So that's it for the main content for this month. Before we close, I'd like to get another message quickly from our featured nonprofit, the Elamisha Children's Project. When we initially partnered with the school, the population was substantially low, approximately about 50 students. Today, that number has doubled and we're able to accommodate more students. And part of the reason why the population was so low was due to the lack of sufficient funds for families to be able to afford tuition, school uniform, books, and all other educational necessities. Also, the school lacked proper infrastructure to be able to comfortably accommodate the students. For example, the classrooms were built out of iron sheets, which tend to get super hot when the temperature rises. Fortunately, through the help of our donors, we've been able to build four brick classrooms, an office, and we're currently in the process of building four additional classrooms. To learn more about how you can help our mission, please visit our website, elimishachildrensproject.org, and there you'll find additional information. Thank you, everyone, for listening and learning more about our mission to spread education in Kenya. Okay, so we're starting to get quite a few questions about each of the episodes. But due to the length of this episode, I will address those in next month's topic. Next month's topic will take a slightly different trajectory, and we will discuss culture. I'll discuss what I'm seeing in the world and what is succeeding to create a highly engaged sales team with today's workforce. Thanks for listening. Ignite the spark and fuel the flames. Thank <laughs> you.